Hello and welcome back to The Bunker Daily. I'm Andrew Harrison. It's not all coronavirus and Russian spying on this podcast, you know. We do try to raise the general mood now and again. And our guest today is someone who has brought wit, intelligence, acute observation and a sustaining sense of humour to British pop culture for over a quarter of a century now. His band Pulp were the quintessential outsiders who remade British pop in their own oddball image during the Britpop years. The correct answer to the question, Blair or Oasis, was of course always Pulp. His Pulp songs examined everything from the everyday life that pop usually ignores to the hubris of the new Labour years, dig out a song called Cocaine Socialism for a harsh vision of that, and of course Britain's endless class neuroses with the deathless common people. And when it wasn't fun anymore, he stopped, moving sideways into art pop and more idiosyncratic work. Now he's back with a brand new band called Jarv Is, and his most relatable, self-deprecating and enjoyable set of songs since Pulp on the new album called Beyond the Pale, which is out now, is Jarvis Cocker. Hello, Jarvis. How are you doing? Hello, Andrew. Yeah, nice, nice to, uh, well, I can't say meet you. Nice to Zoom you. Yes, nice to sort of virtually through the ether. Whereabouts are you? Where, where did you end up getting locked down? Uh, I was very lucky because I, uh, I'm in the kind of countryside, quite near to Sheffield, you know, where my family are. So yes, it's not it's not been such a lockdown experience as a big garden, which I can parade around now and again. So uh, yeah, I, I've been lucky. So your daily government walk was actually quite a nice one to a quite a nice place rather than just to a garage. So this new album of yours, Beyond the Pale, it's extremely kind of wry and funny. The song's about refusal to grow up and the weight of the world, about refusing to go out. And it also, even though it started out as a live recording, it's actually really a beautiful record. It's very kind of, you know, beautifully put together. When did you realise, like, I'm back in the fray now, I'm going to be Pop Jarvis again? The thing was that I always kept having ideas for songs and I would work on them a bit whilst I was... You know, I, I did a radio show for, for Radio 6 and stuff like that. And, you know, there were times when I thought, well, maybe this is what I do now. Maybe that's it. This this befits me as a, as a person entering his fifth decade. Uh, it can be actually six, isn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, you know. That, that was a I, very pop star thing, that. Shave a few years off. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wondered. But the thing was that I, I just kept getting ideas for songs. And so at some point I just thought, well, you know what? Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do then. I, I, rather than ignore that voice that keeps saying write a song, I'll, I'll follow it. And I guess that was the, the beginning of it, really. There's a lot of literal self-questioning here. Am I missing something? Must I evolve? Is it like if I'm going to have a midlife return to myself that I'm going to make it a good one? If I'm going to have a crisis, I'll make it a good crisis. Yeah, but I don't think it's really a crisis. I think it's just like you, you end up having those questions you know you ask yourself those questions as you get a bit older and and the thing is that I've always used songwriting I suppose as my way of finding out what I think about things it's a way of me asking myself a question you know you, you get an idea in your head I'm always walking around with a little notebook I'll write it down and then you go through it and you think well do I really think that or is that funny or would somebody else laugh at that or or feel that they recognize something of that and then that's it. If you think there's some legs in it, then you'll start to write it and, and see how it turns out. You know, because, I mean, that was a big part of this record was that we, it wasn't finished before we actually went out and played it to people. You know, mm. I got a band together and we decided to finish the songs off by playing them to people. And you really find out very quickly in that situation whether you're onto something or not, because either people react to it or they all go to the bar. So, you know, it's a, it's a good way of finding things out. 
I think I remember seeing you at the Reading Festival once where you played common people, if not for the first time, then certainly nobody had heard it. it if you'd played it before, it had only been in smaller places. And being, firstly thinking, you know, it's probably the only time in my life I thought, this is a hit, this one. This song I've not encountered before is a hit. And also noticing how, how really well it went down with a load of people who, who were completely unfamiliar with it. Did, did you ever sort of feel like you had those moments where, you know, the kind of, the, the, the lightning is coming through you. It's coming from another place. Yeah, and that's what you want. And it's like, because as I say, you know, I'd, I'd been thinking about ideas for songs for a long time and working on them, but they never really seemed to be finished. And you do have to wait for that moment, like you say, either the lightning coming to you or something that convinces you that it's like that Frankenstein moment. It's alive. You know, the song, <laughs> it, it moves from being an idea or a concept or, or, a, or whatever and actually becomes something. And... That happened with this by getting a band involved because as soon as you involve other people, they bring their thing to it. And then, as, as I said before, by playing them to people and then you kind of edit the song as in real time almost because as you're playing it to people, especially because we were playing really, really tiny shows because I thought, well, you, it's a big ask to ask people to come and hear new material. So, so we play these small shows where, like we played this one place in Ramsgate it only holds 100 people, and the stage is, I think, three and a half inches tall. So I basically was just staring into the face of the person in the front row. There was no barrier or anything. You're thinking, well, how do I communicate this idea to somebody who's never heard it before? So you kind of, I wasn't making words up, but I was kind of, it made me choose the words that kind of communicated it in the most direct way, if, if you know what I mean. A thing that used to happen with Pulp Live was you, you would do longer versions of songs and you would go into a kind of Jav trance and begin to sort of extemporize and things would come out of you. And this felt like an expanded version of some of that. Do you, do you get surprised by the things that pop out of you in those circumstances? That's probably why I decided to be in a band in the first place, that I was always quite a shy kid, quite a reserved kid. And music can, it does shake things loose, you know, mm. um, you do stuff and you're in the moment and, you know, I think people are often quite surprised when they meet me, you know, in normal life and I'm not jumping around on, you know, jumping <laughs> onto the table and pointing at things all the time. You don't actually <laughs> do that in real life, you know, you would get locked up, wouldn't you? So it's not like a Jekyll and Hyde thing where suddenly I turn into another person, but it's definitely you get to express a different part of your personality. And also part of that also is, things that you might not say in polite company will will come out. I've never kept a diary. Uh, I don't have a blog or anything like that. It's it's my way of really trying to find, make sense of, of my life, really. And I think that's why I have come back to it, because it's, it's a nice way to have a reminder of your life, because it's not just writing, it's songs, and, and the music of a song is so much... I like the fact that, you know, a song is that blend of music and words and somehow the two of them make something that's bigger than either of them on their own. I find it very enjoyable and also very relatable because I too am in, in uh, entering my <coughs> decade and there's a load of good lines. So there's a, a, a track called Swanky Modes where you use a, a 70s-style clothes shop in Canada as a jump-off for kind of revisiting the, the classic Jarvis dirty young man on his afternoon assignations thing. Well, there's two great lines in there. I can resist gentrification, but I cannot resist temptation. And also the days of VHS and casual sex. I mean, do you... Do, you mentioned you've got your notebook. Are you, are you, do you kind of build the songs around? That's a good line. That's a good line. That's a good line. 
Sometimes. I mean, that line that you mentioned there, that I wrote my notebook ages ago, the age of VHS. For some reason, that appealed to me. Like, you know, you got Bronze Age, Iron Age, and VHS Age or whatever. I, <laughs> I liked it, but I didn't use my notebooks that much on, on this record. And, and that song that you mentioned, it, that's one that's mystified me in a way because... Um, it's all based, like you, you mentioned, this clothes shop that was at the top of Camden Road, which I, I only know about that place because I lived in Camden just towards the end of the time that I was at art college, so like 1991. And um, I used to walk past that shop. And, you know, that's basically 30 years ago. And yet suddenly, when I was trying to write some words for that song, it all kind of came back in one lump, this kind of, it was only maybe a six or eight month period of my life when I lived there. Suddenly all this information came, which I had no idea I'd even stored all those memories. You know, it just suddenly kind of floated to the surface of my consciousness and came out as a song. And that's, again, what I, I guess that's another thing that brings me back to songwriting is that, that mystery of it, that you never really know what you're going to find. You, it's like going fishing. <laughs> it's like <laughs> you just don't know what's down there. It's fantastic. I've caught an old bike. It's wonderful. Let's, let's have a bit of the album. Let's have a bit of music. Uh, this track is an extract of a track called House Music All Night Long, which, of course, has a double meaning, as you will discover, listeners. Lost in the the living room A drifting world Of interiors It's serious Who the hell would live In a house like this Head deep in the basement One foot on the pedal bin This ain't easy Listen I was listening to house music all night long And all day too That was uh, house music all night long, where, which of course the house that is referred to is the house in which you live, one nation under a roof. It's about staying at home and not going out and waiting for your loved ones to, to return. Was that kind of built around that, that play on words of understanding? Like, you know, like house music can be whatever you're sitting in your front room listening to. It was, yeah. I mean, because a lot of people said that that was like a lockdown anthem, but obviously it was written long before lockdown. But it was just one weekend when I was a bit locked down. I was, I was in the house and all my friends seemed to have left town, including some who'd gone to this dance music festival in Wales. And I was jealous of that. And uh, so they were the ones dancing to house music all night long. I was stuck in the house. And then the final part of that jigsaw was I remembered that I bought this second-hand keyboard from a street market not long before, so I went and got that out of the cellar, really just to have something to distract myself from feeling this terrible FOMO feeling that I was getting. And I just started playing it, and I came up with the kind of chord sequence that, that you hear at the start of the song. And to me, that's, I had echoes of one of those early house tracks like Joe Smooth, Promised Land or something yeah. like that, quite a euphoric house kind of thing. So so then, you know, the friends who were away dancing to house, me stuck in the house, and then me kind of trying to play house music, it all kind of came together. So the, 
And I tend to like that, you know, when an idea seems to just kind of click together in, a, in an A-team kind of way. The song almost, once I'd got that initial idea, it kind of wrote itself, really. And there is a stage in life at which the idea of staying in on your own is actually the most euphoric thing you can possibly imagine. And the idea of going out and tearing it up seems terribly, terribly wearing. That's something that we've all been through a bit through the lockdown, I guess. You know, at first, the initial reaction is, I'm restricted by this thing. Uh, mm. And of, of course, physically, we have been restricted by it. And But then you can also see as an opportunity as in you know m most kind of uh, eastern religions and stuff like that say well you, you should kind of uh, in a way that zen idea is it doesn't really matter where you are it's more about tuning into yourself and sometimes restrictions can actually help you do that you know rather than our society is is basically based around distractions aren't they the, manufacture as many distractions as possible so we never have to think about ourselves <laughs> or, or anything uh, along those lines so yeah you famously found actual five star you know on the front of the daily mirror pop star fame first enticing then onerous then horrible to the extent that you wrote a whole album about how horrible it was this is hardcore mm. do you ever wonder what would happen if what would have happened if you kind of gritted your teeth and sort of not stepped left field? Is there a version of Jarvis who went, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to grit my teeth and write in the vein of Disco 2000 and something changed a lot. Is there a parallel Jarvis in an, in an alternate timeline? I don't know, because I think the thing that... I did an interview with the Sunday Times recently, which I wasn't that blown away by the interview, but one line that came out of that was being asked about celebrity. And I said... And I think this probably unlocks, I didn't really know why This Is Hardcore was called This Is Hardcore and stuff like that at the time. But I kind of said that celebrity is a bit like pornography. It, it takes something that's really great, i.e. sex, and then kind of grosses it out. And I think there is a parallel there. You know, celebrity kind of took music for me, which was really something that I'd latched onto as a kid. It was like, it was... You know, it was a childhood fantasy. Then I got a band together and it was uh, it was like my thing. You know, it was like that's one of the things about having a band. It's like having a gang and it's also like having something that's your thing. Like Gollum's Precious, you know. It's <laughs> and um, that, that you can make the rules of how it works and stuff like that. And, and in a way, that kind of extreme celebrity thing takes that away from you, takes that control of it away from you. So... I think, you know, the, the, the problem was with me, really, it, it kind of took a coping mechanism and kind of uh, defused it. And so that gave me issues. It made the solution into the problem. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Uh, it's the 25th anniversary of your, your Glastonbury appearance, which was kind of the, you know, many ways it was a lot of people's first introduction to Paul. If you were not a kind of a hardcore music fan, select reader, hem hem, then it was like, who are these new guys? They're exciting and they're, and they're strange and they're different. It's also the 25th anniversary of common people imprinting itself on the public consciousness. Mm. Do you ever sort of, you know, what that song was about and the fact that the world hasn't really changed at all since then? In fact, in many ways it's got worse. The kind of... You know, we've got Etonians running the country, voted in by people who used to be the punks and the ravers, and then now many of them kind of becoming reactionaries in their 50s and 60s. Do you look back on that song differently now, given you've got 25 years of, of hindsight on it and the way that the country has changed since? I suppose the thing is that class still is a preoccupation and, and does have a big 
influence on how things turn out in this country. That's for sure. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the album that came after Common People, which really was shaped by the fact that Common People had been a success, you know, was called Different Class and was in a way some, yeah, some hope that we could move beyond that. Because I think to be defined either way, to be defined as like, oh, I'm working class, that is all I am, that's what I'm about, or to say I'm upper class, to be so rigidly defined by that is, is just a bit sad. It's, it's very restricting. It would be, I guess that was the dream of the post-war era, that it opened up society, education, which I think is a really key thing, became more accessible to people from backgrounds who would never have dreamed of going to university or to secondary education or whatever. And, and there was that dream that you would get a classless society or, or somehow move beyond it. And that really seems to have taken a kick in the teeth and pretty much disappeared. Like from my own experience of escaping Sheffield and my background by going to art college, that just isn't an option now because you, yeah. nobody's going to go to art college when you come out of it with a 60 grand debt at the end of it. So something's gone there. And I think, and I'm not saying that, you know, things have to be working class to be any good, but I do think that a society benefits from being as varied and multifarious as possible. And that just means that, that's one sector of society who aren't going to be represented anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of an article of pop music world, article of faith, really, that bad economic times produce great music because, hey, think about the punks and think about the specials and all the rest of it. But you look at the last economic crash, 2008, it didn't actually produce those amazing, memorable things in the same way, did it? What it produced was a whole load of subcultures and subgenres and things that, you know, as, as the, the kind of the structure of pop music broke down. The charts didn't matter quite so much. Albums and things didn't sell. People had to play live. The whole thing is kind of disintegrated in a way that, you know, it used to be intelligible. You know, bands would record a hit single and it would make an impact and it would move the dial a little bit. Do you think music has kind of maybe lost its power a little bit? I mean, we're, we're having to look at the whole world through this COVID uh, crystal now, aren't we? Of, of, yeah. of- and it changes it. And I do think that people have come back to music a bit in this time, you know, f- talking to friends. A lot of friends would say to me, uh, it's reminded them of when they were 15 and still living at home and they would go and listen to music upstairs and it would kind of make them feel like they uh, were getting a window into the world that they would inhabit when they left the family home, when they were kind of free a bit. And that same kind of idea of, of us being a bit constrained and they're, that's when music can really be a powerful thing of, uh, of helping you to transcend your surroundings and stuff like that. And so I hope that there's a bit of people realizing that, that, that it's, it has got a power, that it, it might revitalize it again a bit. I, I, you know, because music won't disappear. It's just like everything else in modern culture. There's just a pile up at the moment. It's just, mm. it, it's a big lump that's hard for people to, navigate because all all the past is just tipped there in a big kind of pile for us to rummage through but where do you start rummaging yeah and generally speaking what happens is you start rummaging with the beatles and you might just stay with the beatles forever you know it's like every new band is in a a constant battle against the past isn't it but you know i always think that you know you're saying like you know kids coming out into the world with sixty thousand pounds worth of debt or whatever I always think that if they're entering the world in which there's no path for them and you're not being given any sort of, you know, you've got nothing but relying on yourself, well, that's a good thing. 
rely on yourself, do what you know, do what you want to do, because there's nobody offering you a short term fast temptation. Go and get this easy job. I remember seeing um, World in Action in the early '80s, and they did a piece on the Beat. It was about uh, unemployment in Britain, and the band they talked to was the Beat. And yeah. Dave Wakeley was wandering around an empty factory, going like, well, "You might as well be in a band. There's bugger all else to do." And I thought that's that's a reasonable thing, <laughs> reasonable response. Yeah, and I think there has been stuff like that, and and I, you know, things like the sleeve of mods and idols and stuff. I think I've tapped into that. It's like they're doing it. It's not like we think we're going to become massive pop stars. We're doing it because we want to do it and it gives some kind of form to our existence. And in a way, that's the roots of music. You know, whoever those nameless cavemen tootling on bone flutes back in the mists of time, there was no velvet rope or celebrity awaiting them, was it? It was just a way of passing the time and kind of having fun with the people who you happen to be sharing a cave with. The nameless cavemen, four more from them later. Jarvis, you got it. your tour is finally back on in the autumn. So your tour that was post- postponed is back on, and we can see the Jarv is live experience continuing to evolve before our very eyes. I hope so, yeah. I mean, we did, we did a show in a cave just near to where I'm talking to you from the other, well, fortnight ago, and that, that was on YouTube a bit ago. Uh, that was, yeah, because normally a record would come out, you would go and play it live, and especially a record like this, which was evolved live it's frustrating not to be able to go out and play but uh fingers crossed yeah we'll be able to do it in in uh, november well a little more evolution didn't never did anything anymore any harm so who knows how they will the songs will evolve further jarvis thanks for joining us in the bunker before we go we should play out with another tune from the album what should we play uh well it seems we've mentioned the word evolve a lot of times let's play must i evolve must I have all. Jarvis, good to talk to you. We're back on Monday with more Bunker Podcasting. Until then, listeners, remember, it's okay to grow up as long as you don't grow old. Face it, you are young. Jarvis, good to talk to you, mate. All right, thank you very much, Andrew. One dark night, there was a big bang. Maybe a small bang. Actually, more of a pop. But whatever it was, something went off.